Welcome to Getting In, a college coach conversation hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. On this show, the team of experts from Bright Horizons College Coach aim to demystify college admissions and finance. From choosing the right college, developing a payment strategy, creating a high school plan, and more. Each episode will help guide your family through the various steps of the process. Now, here is your host. Hey everyone, welcome to this week's edition of Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. My name is Ian Fisher. I'm your host again this week. I was here last week. For those of you who are really concerned, don't worry. Beth will be back next week in the hosting chair, uh, so you can look forward to uh, all of her expertise. But we've got a really great show for you today, so don't just fast forward to the next episode and wait for next week. We've got a lot of good content to uncover for today. Um, We are discussing in our second segment the essays for the University of Southern California, uh, a little bit of a broader set of essay prompts, I think, than most people expect. So if you're looking at all at USC, you'll want to stick around for that uh, in the second part of the show. We're also going to talk a little bit about how to get involved in some of the financial aid processes that are required at this point if you haven't done anything yet. And that bridges pretty well into what we're talking about here with our first segment today. I got to welcome uh, my colleague, Ryan Kelly, to the show. Hey, Ryan, how you doing? Good. How are you? I'm doing well. It's good to have you Great. here. And we are talking about, you know, it's uh, right now, November 3rd. We're going to be airing this on November 11th. I am currently being fueled by caffeine and Halloween candy. Um, I don't know if you're in the same position that I am, but we've passed this, this, <laughs> we've passed this major milestone in the college application process. And I think for those who are not savvy, they might think, well, November 1st has passed. I I missed an opportunity to apply. We want to talk today about a lot of students that maybe are just getting started right now or missed that 11-1 window um, and are looking ahead to college applications. Can you just help, uh, you know, for those who are maybe unfamiliar, why is November 1st such a big deal uh, in the application process? And why is there so much conversation around that particular day? Sure. Uh, So, You are correct. I mean, schools around the country have different deadlines, but the big one, the first big one seems to be November 1st. And it's dominated by what's referred to as early action and early decision. Sometimes those are available on the same day at the same school, but that gets a lot of press and is a source of anxiety. And a lot of highly motivated students are applying early and and that can often dominate the first part of, of kids. I have to apply. I have to apply by early action or early decision. And that's oftentimes November 1st. But what oftentimes is neglected to be realized is it's not usually the only deadline that's available at a school. Um, and oftentimes students, for one reason or another, are late to the game for applying. Um, yeah. And then some kids who get to the game a little bit late think, well, shoot, I missed November one. Now what? Uh, and that can be as that can be very overwhelming on top of what is already oftentimes an overwhelming and mystifying process for kids. <laughs> right. Which is why we're here every week to talk exactly. about it, because it is overwhelming and mystifying. 
And I think, Ryan, there are a lot of reasons that November 1st deadline can be challenging for students. It might be that they are just not plugged into or aware of those deadlines. I think if you're a listener on this show, you probably are aware to some extent. But November 1st, I think, crept up on a lot of kids this year, partly because of the return to school after the pandemic, a lot of the associated difficulties with reacclimating to um, you know, to the classroom, and then all of the expectations that are foisted on students when it comes time to apply to these colleges. And so while November 1st is an important deadline, and we certainly talk about it a lot here at College Coach, with the exception of the University of Florida, which I think is the in, in Florida State as well, I think they're the only schools that I know of where if you have not applied by November 1st, you're out of luck. Um, everywhere else has another deadline coming. And so there is still time to you know, submit an application for these schools. Um, now, Ryan, we were talking before, I was saying probably our listeners are on top of things and their applications are already signed and sealed. And they're just looking for extra little tips that they can come out for the show, but they might have some cousins or family friends who have not gotten started with the process. What is your advice for a student who, let's say you have a conversation with them this week and they say, I really haven't done anything yet. I've got an idea about a couple of schools I might be interested in, but we thought that this happened in the winter. And so we haven't really started. What's your first move as a counselor? That's actually not a hypothetical situation. I've actually had that conversation. (laughs) Okay. There you go. Um, (laughs) So, uh, and that's, that's okay to think it happens in the winter because sometimes it does happen in the winter. There are schools that have deadlines of December 1st or January 15th or whatever it happens to be. And what I say is it's not too late. However, right now is really your time to ramp up the process a little bit in looking for schools. Maybe if you're at that point already looking at the requirements for, you know, number of recommendations or whatever it is that the school happens to be looking for and actively starting to be engaged in the process, asking for letters of recommendation, working with your high school guidance department to make sure that, transcripts are getting sent in a timely fashion, not to mention working on the actual application, the essays, all the things that are now within your control. Because yes, the big November 1 deadline has come and gone, but it's now your opportunity to really step up and start working on the, the search process and the application creation. Because with the exception of a handful of schools, it's not too late. However, those deadlines, whatever they happen to be, Everyone knows, I mean, November 1st got here pretty fast. December 1 or January 1 or whatever it is, it'll be here pretty fast. It's, it's coming quickly as well. I, I was trying to talk to some of my students about this last week, and they were getting pretty close to deciding whether they wanted to submit in advance of November 1st or take a little bit more time to look for that regular deadline, just in terms of the quality of the work that they were putting together. And I said, well, one thing that you can't do is wait until November 2nd and just say, well, you know, I got a whole month now. I'm going to just sit back and you know, I got plenty of time because it will creep up on you just like November 1st did. So if you are in that boat where you have been putting things off and for whatever reason missed that November 1 deadline, now is time to create an action plan where you're really chipping away at this process every single day, um, doing something to support the work that needs to be done here. Um, Ryan, you mentioned letters of recommendation and obviously high schools play a huge role in supporting students in their college application process. 
for a student, it feels like this is a little bit of a hat in hand moment if you're going to a teacher or a counselor now to initiate that college application process. What advice would you give for a student who has not yet asked a, a teacher for a letter of recommendation? How can I make that work for me as a, a senior? Yeah, I like that hat in hand. Um, it's, uh, I don't know if you necessarily need to grovel uh, at this point, but uh, <laughs> maybe a little bit of groveling would yeah, be okay. Well, the longer you wait, the more groveling will ensue. Um, yeah. But reaching out to your to your counselors or to your teachers or whomever it is that you're going to be asking for recommendations and saying, you know, kind of owning it a little bit. I'm a little late to this process. I understand that. And I understand you probably have written most of your recommendations at this point. But I was wondering if you'd be willing to to write one more on my behalf. Um, I don't think the teacher, unless they have some fairly rigorous, you know, hard and fast deadline that they stick to, yeah. uh, which is some do, but pretty rare. I think they're usually accommodating. Um, saying, you know, I, I'm a little bit late, but would you be willing to make an extra recommendation on my behalf? If you right. are a little humble um, in that process, they're probably a lot more willing to work with you. They're probably very willing to work with you in the first place, but acknowledging I'm late, could use an extra hand, might make them a little bit more willing to assist. And I think before going and, and making that request, do a little bit of your own homework, oh, yeah, right? Absolutely. Figure out what the deadlines are that are coming up. I can just imagine a situation where you go and say, I know I'm late. Can you please write a letter of recommendation? And the teacher says, okay, where are you applying and what are the deadlines? And you say, well, I haven't totally figured that out yet. And I'm not sure. It's like, that's no, no, we don't want that scenario, right? So do some of the advance work to put yourself in a position so that when the teacher does ask that question, you can say, here's where I'm applying, here's what the deadlines are, and is there anything else you need from me mm-hmm. to help to facilitate this? I think students very rarely ask, ask teachers what they can do for them mm-hmm. when they're asking for a letter on their behalf. So, you know, take that opportunity. Um, all right, so the key dif- difference between early action and regular decision is, is essentially when you are notified. Um, there's not a really meaningful difference in terms of the likelihood of your outcome. But when we talk about early decision, and you alluded to that earlier, there is sometimes an admission advantage to applying ED1 to a school. What about this ED2 deadline? Let's say I've got a first choice college and I have missed that ED deadline or I wasn't aware of it for whatever reason. How does ED2 fit into the process and how can I think about that? Sure. It's a, it's a pretty rare opportunity for ED2. I mean, relatively speaking, it's not offered at a tremendous number of schools, but it is a second opportunity for a student to really highlight that this school is in fact my number one choice, for whatever reason, I wasn't able to meet ED1, or maybe, you know, another school was my actual choice. I didn't get in, or I delayed it, or, but for whatever reason, this school now is clearly my first choice, and I'd like to indicate that in the admissions process. So, ED2 could be as, you know, in the December, beginning January type of time frame, really depends on the institution. But it's a way for the student to produce a second or an application that's strong. They have a little bit more time and indicate that, you know, I may not have applied ED1, but please understand that you are clearly my first choice now. And I want that to be conveyed in the application and in the review process. So yeah. it's never too late to, a, well, if, if assuming they have an ED2 option, it's never too late until it is too late. But you really want to be working on those applications and strengthening them to the best of your ability to make sure you're putting your best face forward, regardless of it's ED or, or regular. Now, a, lot of, a lot of families will ask, all right, I missed ED1. Now I've got ED2. 
but is that the same? Is that the same advantage? Um, are ED1 students preferred to ED2 students? How can we think about that differentiation? Is there any difference between the two? Um, my experience has been no, uh, that they're not vastly different. They're still looking for the same type of students. It's just in the review process, there's that indication that you we are your first choice and that can be advantageous in the review process. Mm-hmm. Um, every school does it a little bit differently. Um, so yeah. We at Reed had ED1 and ED2, and what we found was that the ED2 pool, first of all, was just a, quite a bit smaller than ED1, but we were essentially looking for the same kinds of things. I think the only scenario where ED2 would be a disadvantage relative to ED1, and this is kind of beside the point because you've already missed the ED1 deadline, so it, do, it doesn't really matter in that case, but the reason ED2 could be a disadvantage is if there's a huge number of ED1 applicants who are accepted and right. the school has an embarrassment of riches. And so they're going to look to RD for most of the rest of their class. I, I think that's pretty uncommon. Um, and I love what you said, Ryan, about a school being your first choice. A lot of people might say, well, how can that make sense? It's ED2. Sure. But if you are entering into that binding agreement with ED2, you are saying, I will come if I'm, uh, you know, if I'm admitted. And so there is that same sense of, uh, this is my first choice. I am committed to you. So it has that same effect with colleges. Um, Now, I'm just sort of curious about some of the other different forms of deadlines. We've talked about early action, and every school that offers early action has a regular decision, and the same thing with ED schools, having regular decision. What are some other kind of um, deadlines that we might be looking for uh, that we haven't talked about so far and that are still available for students, but that they might want to be aware of if they're just getting started now? Yeah, so the big ones are... um what I would refer to as rolling admissions. And then, well, so first rolling admissions is essentially you can apply at any point and you get back a decision, you know, two, three, four weeks later, whatever it happens to be. And the school will accept your application as long as they're accepting applications and the the class isn't full. And that can be today, that can be in March or April or June. It really depends on the institution. However, a lot of those schools and many other schools have what are referred to as priority deadlines. So there might be early action, regular decision, but a priority deadline somewhere in the middle or even a priority deadline for rolling admissions where in order to be considered fully for scholarships, for specific academic programs like an honors college or whatever it is, you have to apply by a specific date, which is referred to as a priority deadline. Mm -hmm. Those students literally get the priority and then they will consider any student after that um, space available or whatever their process happens to look like. So a lot of students will say, I have until January 15th to apply. And that might be true for their deadline, but if you want to be considered for a scholarship or the honors program or something altogether different, you had to apply by whatever it was January 1st. Um, So keeping that organized and, um, you know, not even in the back of your mind, but at the forefront of your mind of, yes, I have different deadlines, but some might be more important than others. Yeah. And I've seen this with, uh, I think the University of Arizona has something like a May 3rd final deadline. And a lot of students might look at that and say, I got plenty of time to apply to U of A. But I also know students who have gotten into U of A already because it is a rolling admission process. And wouldn't you rather hear back from a school in two weeks from now than having to wait until April or May to hear back from that school? Yes. The answer is yes, because you want more information to be able to make your decisions as you go forward. Um, 
we have, you know, Ryan, you had, you had told me in advance of this, of course, there are some regular decision deadlines that are still coming up. A lot of students are still looking at the University of California system. Um, a lot of major public universities still have their regular decision deadlines coming up. It's um, November 11th when families are listening to this. And the University of Washington's final deadline is coming up in four days on the 15th. Um, just any final tips that you have around students who are just starting on their essays right now, um, how much time do they need to really commit to an essay in order to get it to a position where it is submittable? Uh, are we talking one night and then submit it in the morning? Uh, what should students account for in terms of their planning period? I would not recommend one night and then submit. Okay. Neither would I. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I guess you could. It wouldn't be the strategy I would recommend. Uh, it really it depends on the student, depends on the quality of their ability to write. But yeah. I always like to write, review, sit and think and come back to it with a fresh set of eyes. And that can take a day or two or a week or two. Mm -hmm. The more time you have to devote to it, the more polishing of it you can, you can create for it. Um, leaving it to the last minute. I know a lot of folks say I work best under pressure. I don't, I don't like that approach. Don't say that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, it is not a good approach. So if you have a deadline coming up in two weeks, I would say start writing your essay now, get it revised, have, you know, a friend or parent or teacher or someone look at it, give you some feedback and, and digest what that feedback is. And then look at it with a new set of eyes a couple of days later or what have you. But um, the more revisions you can devote to it, the more time, the, usually the stronger it will end up being. So please don't procrastinate on that. I was also thinking two weeks. I think that that's a really great uh, time frame for people to think about. And of course, they're going to be essay supplements. So if you finish a personal essay in two weeks, you're probably going to have to tackle some other stuff. Right. I just want to pick up on one other thing that you said, which is asking someone to have a look at that. That is a singular someone. And I think at this phase, it is perhaps even worse than normal to go and ask four different people for their perspective on your essay. You might think that that's going to provide you a lot of support, but it's going to pull your writing in four different directions. Absolutely. So figure out who do I want to ask? Who is the person that's going to contribute the most value to my essay at this phase in the process? And I'm going to use that person as my resource. Outside of that, I'm really going to trust myself um, and, and make sure that that message runs in terms of what I'm trying to say. Um, all right. Well, I, I think that's great, Ryan. Like there, there are a lot of really good things for students to think about. Um, even at this late phase in the process, it is definitely not too late to apply to college. Right. Um, so thank you so much for those, those tips. I really appreciate coming on and, and sharing them with us. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Try and stay off the Halloween candy though. Okay. Like you and I, <laughs> no dads, promises. like we got to be really careful. Uh, my son thought he had hidden it well, but like it was, <laughs> it was so obvious where it was. These kids are, seven, you know, knowing better. All right. Yeah. When we come back, we will be talking about the USC essays. Don't go away. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. Tune in every week for Making Action Happen, hosted by Sarah Blackhurst and Brian McCain. The program takes you inside Action 22, a Colorado-based community outreach organization established in 1999. The show focuses on public policies, both politically driven or not, which have ongoing and immediate impact on the Colorado community and the world. It doesn't matter where you are, you can make action happen. Listen Thursdays at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern. Eastern Time and 1 p.m. Mountain Time on Voice America Variety. 
Do you know that over 70% of people with disabilities are not counted in the workforce with twice the unemployment rate of the non-disabled? Join Joyce Bender, CEO of Bender Consulting Services and a disability leader as she talks about best practices and newest trends in disability employment on Disability Matters. As a person living with epilepsy and hearing loss, Joyce is an international advocate for disability employment. Tune in on Tuesdays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. When it's time to go through the college admissions process, look to Bright Horizons College Coach for ethical guidance and customized support. Our educators will get to know your students' ambitions and talents, help highlight hard-won achievements, and create a plan for getting into a top-choice school. That plan includes helping your student choose classes and extracurriculars, create a college list, brainstorm and edit essays, and navigate college financing options. Visit GetIntoCollege.com to learn more. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are listening to Getting In, a college coach conversation. To submit a question for an upcoming listener Q&A segment or to suggest an idea for a future segment, please send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to this week's episode of Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. We just had a great segment with Ryan Kelly in the previous uh, part of the show. We talked all about what to do if you're just getting started on this process now. So if this is the first thing that you're encountering and you have not started the process, pause this now, go on back to that first segment and listen to what Ryan and I had to say about getting started even after November 1st. Um, what we're going to do today uh, in this segment is talk a little bit about a school uh, in U- University of Southern California that has a priority deadline coming up on December 1st. Uh, Ryan talked about what priority deadlines are in our prior segment, but for all intents and purposes, I think I really treat USC as having a December 1st deadline for the students that are applying there. And my guest, Mary Sue Yun, is nodding her head here on the video portion of the segment because she is in agreement with me. But Mary Sue, uh, it's great to have you here on the show today. Thanks, Ian. So you have a lot of students uh, like I do who are interested in engineering programs, and Mm -hmm. we both really like the engineering prompts uh, with the Viterbi School of Engineering at the University of Southern California. We are going to talk about those in a moment, but I'll give that as a little carrot for everyone. What I want to do initially is come back to the initial USC prompts, the ones that everybody has to answer. Mm -hmm. Um, There are three options here that students need to choose one to respond to. Um, And we can talk about what those options are. I'm loath often to want to just read out loud on the show. But do you gravitate towards any of these three options for students that are looking at USC? Is there a best choice for a student as they're thinking about their uh, supplemental essay family? Um, As with many things in college admissions, it depends. So, (laughs) yeah. Um, I, I feel like it really, I look at this as kind of when I, when I work with a student through several supplements um, within a supplemental part of the application, I look at see, and see how those fit with their main essay and sort of 
are are the chapters of the book all fitting together? And um, yeah. so it kind of depends on what their main essay is about. Does something in those ABC choices add something to that um, and add to the layers of their application? Um, so there's not one that kind of stands out that sort of works for everyone or the magic one that I would say to to pick, but it really depends on sort of what where your strengths lie and, and how to put forward those strengths. Yeah. And, and so I would just briefly call these option A is essentially a diversity essay, um, or mm-hmm. a, you're challenged by an idea or a belief and, and the significance of that experience. Mm-hmm. The, the second essay is something that's interesting to you that you're going to talk about. So, and that's outside of your intended academic focus. Mm-hmm. And then the third is what is something about yourself that is essential to understanding you? Now that one is really, really open-ended. And I feel like mm-hmm. that is a dangerous potential prompt because there isn't a whole lot of guidance to it. Mm-hmm. Um, what is something about yourself that is essential to understanding you? And as you mentioned, the personal essay has already been written by this point. Mm-hmm. So how does a student think about this question of an essential piece? Is there a category that they should be looking to? Is it an extracurricular activity? Is it an interest they have? What, right. what do you advise students who are thinking about this particular prompt? Yeah, I'm, go- I'm going to contradict myself a little bit in saying that I don't <laughs> think that there's a, there's a perfect prompt, but I would say that this third one, the one of, uh, you know, sort of what do you uniquely bring mm-hmm. is probably the least used and probably the least helpful of the three. Mm-hmm. Um, in a lot of cases I found, because students will tend to go back to things that lots of people could say, you know, I'm a good friend, I'm a hard worker, those kinds of things come up a lot. And it's like, well, probably most of the USC applicant pool could say that. However, for the right student, if you truly have something that you feel like is not um, brought up in the rest of your application and sort of here's a space to talk about it, um, then, yeah, that could be really impactful and really a wonderful part of of their total USC application. Um, But I I would say that this one is sort of the one that um, it's the, the misdirection is you know, it's so broad that kind of like the tell me about yourself interview question, which I hate, you know, like (laughs) I can tell you lots of things about myself, what's important. So if it's, if there's something unique that you feel like really hasn't been captured elsewhere, um, you know, uh, then that might be the prompt for you. But in most cases, there's not something in that space. Yeah, I think with this, the if you have an initial reaction to that question, where you're like, I know what I'm going to write about here, then you should probably do it. But if you have to sit and brainstorm what mm-hmm. the answer to this question is, it's probably not for you. So, you know, you've got to have within the first 30 seconds to a minute, yes, there's something I want to talk about. Thank goodness this question exists because I wanted to share this initially. So I think mm-hmm. I think that's a key kind of device that you can use to figure out whether option C is going to be right for you. Mm-hmm. Um, I also want to just... I think option A is one that we've talked about a lot in different contexts, which is, you know, you've got a challenge from a different point of view. A lot of students, I think, probably have something that they've already written for the University of Washington or University of Oregon or some other school that asks Mm -hmm. a similar kind of question and can repurpose it into this USC Mm -hmm. prompt. And so I don't want to belabor that that particular question here. But I am interested in this, the option B, which is describing something outside of your intended academic focus about which you are interested in learning. And it's got this framing that focuses on interdisciplinary study. And so how would you guide students to think about how to respond to this question? Does it need to be academic in nature? Is it just sort of an open curiosity? What kind of direction do students get from you? Uh, So I see that one, that that interdisciplinary word is holding a lot of weight in that question. Yeah. Yeah. 
it's not really a space to talk about, um, you know, I'm interested in engineering and specifically aerospace engineering. You know, those are really, yeah. it's, it's like, that's a finer gradient of, of, of a bigger thing. But if it's sort of, um, I, I'm, I want to be pre-med, but I, I also love literature and I'm a fantastic creative writer. That would, I think, answer that prompt pretty well um, because you're sort of talking about sort of two pretty different interests that don't necessarily intersect always. And so I think that interdisciplinary part of that question is really asking you to sort of push beyond the main thing that you've talked about and sort of say something that is perhaps uh, on the, on another side of the, the many academic options, uh, another part of the range, so to speak. Yeah, no, I, I like that. Another, another part of the range is a good way of thinking about that. Do you think that students here have to bring hard evidence, you know, specific things about a particular area they're interested? Do they have to have sort of come to the table with an idea about what that thing is? Or can they just say, I've always wanted to learn about psychology. The brain is a really interesting thing. And I want to look at that. Like, what's the level of, um, on the spectrum between like, I might be interested in this, or I am really interested in this. And I'm glad that USC lets me study other subject areas. I don't think it has to be fully formed. And, you know, to the point where you're saying um, that specific, you know, here's precisely how I would study that at USC. That's not what this question is asking for. Um, But I do think a little more than a, like an idle curiosity that I just came up with 10 minutes ago. (laughs) So Yeah. I looked at the list of other majors and I think this one maybe. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like, Oh, I was scrolling through your list of majors and I've never heard of. Um, (laughs) Yeah. No, that's, that's probably a little too shallow of an exploration. Um, But you know, if it's something that you've at least uh, explored a little bit or maybe taken a class in or had some exposure to that area um, in some way, then I think that that works. And I think here, if you get really, if you think about a teacher who is really excited about a particular subject and you like the teacher, even if you didn't love the content, that might help point you in a particular Mm -hmm. direction to say, oh, I'd love to learn more about this because Mm -hmm. university professors are really great at at instruction and they tend to be experts in their space. And so you might find a whole world that opens up um, based on that little nugget that you got in high school. Um, The second thing, so there are three options for this first question, and you can do whatever you want in terms of those three options, but everybody has to answer the, uh, why do you want to uh, come to USC, essentially? But this is an academically focused Mm -hmm. question. Describe how you plan to pursue your academic interests and why you want to explore them at USC. And then they also say you can address your first and second choice major selections. Do you think students should be explicit about carving out those first and second choice major selections, or is that an option for this essay? Um, well, I mean, I think, yeah, I mean, they, they are putting what those, the right above where this space is in, in the application, they're putting what those first and cho- second choice major options are. And so okay. I think this is a space to be specific to USC. Um, it is a space to say, you know, here's how my academic interest can be best served at USC. Here's classes I would take. Here's a lab I'd like to join. Here's yeah. a professor that I'd really like to have as my mentor. Um, those are the, that's the level of detail that we would want to see. And, you know, that's, that's a USC take on it. But I would say that the, any of those, you know, why do you like that, this academic thing at our college kind of essay 
um, is going to be, I would advise to answer this way is, you know, pick out specific things about that college and those features that you really love that are uniquely served at that school. Probably not a place for football. Uh, we're talking about tailgating or no. other aspects of Southern California life. This is intended to be purely academic. And right. they ask about that explicitly. I also think that because you're mentioning a lot of students, I think, make the mistake of coming up with a template here and then just copying and pasting. And mm-hmm. you want to work smart. We always talk about working smart as opposed to just working hard for its own sake. But man, that essay should not read like it's a template where there was a copy and paste that happened. It has yep. to read like it was written originally for USC, yep. even if you are borrowing some words and phrases from others. Yeah, I, the way I always ex- describe it to students is, you know, your interest in chemistry is not going to change from college to college. So those couple lines about how you became interested in chemistry, that can move from supplement to supplement. Yeah. But why you want to study chemistry at this particular college has to be unique to that school, their approach. And yes, especially for students who have um, long lists of colleges and sort of roll my roll their eyes at me at this. It takes research. You can't just kind of <laughs> they sort of like, can I just copy and paste? And this is like my 20th supplement I'm doing. It's November, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, you can't. Yeah. You have to look at sort of what about this particular school's approach is appealing to you. And sounds like, uh, sounds like you've met my students. <laughs> yeah. All of them. Yeah. The research yeah. is key. I don't think it can be understated. Like you really need to take some time to get to know each school you're applying to. Um, We've said that on the show many times, but I I think that's huge. Um, We are going to kind of skip over. There are some questions for students who are gap year students. There are some specific supplements that students have to respond to if they are applying to the um, Dornsife College of Letters, Mm -hmm. Arts, and Sciences, which is kind of an honors college within within USC. Mm And then there are these short answer questions. Respond to the following in 100 characters or less. Things like, what is your favorite snack? What TV show will you binge watch next? If you could teach a class on any topic, what would it be? What's the role of these in the USC admission process? And how seriously should students take their responses here? They're just fun. I mean, you know, admissions officers are tired. It's kind of like a a little sorbet in between the heavier essays. Um, Mm -hmm. So I think it can be very fun. It can be pretty lighthearted. That said, you probably don't want all your answers to be sort of off the cuff. Fun. You know, yeah. my, my favorite, uh, this is TikTok and my, you know, like it, it has to have like, yeah, you can have something funny and you can have some stuff that's legitimately like, uh, you know, your favorite website can be something that's, uh, that is something, you know, more teen appropriate and something else that is kind of a mix. Um, but I would say that, you know, I've had students who really, really overthink this and say like, oh, my favorite book is this, you know, great book of philosophy by, you know, no, Nobody, that's not. nobody's favorite book. <laughs> no. no, it is not. No. Nope. Um, so like we can see through that. I think it doesn't really, these short takes don't really have a big impact in the admissions process. It's just, again, the survey in between the essays. You, you don't <laughs> want your reader to get offended and you don't want them rolling their eyes. I think anything yeah. else, I think it's, is is pretty solid here. Yeah. Um, but let's talk about the engineering school at supplements yeah. because you and I both really like these. And I think mm-hmm. um, I, I'm not, I don't want to speak for you, but I, mm-hmm. I like the, we read, we see so many different engineering essays and we have so mm-hmm. many students who are interested in engineering who apply in different, with, with with similar kinds of content. And I think USC is is really 
asking questions here that are trying to get students to respond in different ways um, to think about engineering in a different kind of way. Mm -hmm. And I want to, uh, I guess I'll just open the floor to you. Is there anything that you look at with these two prompts that you get really excited by or mm -hmm. that you find generates uh, a different thought process in your students? Mm -hmm. um, so I'll skip over the first one for a second, but we should come back to it. But the, the second sure. one about the grand challenges, I love because I actually last year had a student who read this, read through all the grand challenges and said, I don't think I really want to be an engineer because none of these excite me. <laughs> and I was I was actually thrilled at that response because yeah. I was like, if you can't see something in these 14 pretty broad sort of world issue problems mm -hmm. that you think has an engineering relationship to you. And the kid was already on the fence about engineering uh, as it was. And I was like, to me, that's that's a win. You've learned something about yourself. But um, many students look at these and they really gravitate towards, you know, cybersecurity or making better medicines or, um, you know, carbon um, offsets and those kind of things, whatever it is that you read in those grand challenges that you're like, oh, yeah, that's the thing that I would really innovate and design around as an engineer, go for it. There's not a right or a wrong type of, of challenge. Um, and most of my students who are who really do like engineering um, get uh, get very excited by one of them or a couple of them um, and, you know, are, are like excited to dig in. Yeah, no, I think they're great. And it, for those of you who are unfamiliar, if you just go to engineeringchallenges.org, you'll see a list of all 14 of them here. And there are mm -hmm. things like, you know, advanced personalized learning and advanced health informatics, restore and improve urban infrastructure. These are really specific engineering challenges. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I love that USC is essentially saying, they're basically saying, are you sure you want to be an engineer? Um, you know, and I, I think that that's great. And I love the way that it gets students having to think about, you know, outside of what their typical kind of response is for what they want to do with engineering. They can't just say, I want to do AI and machine learning and see what happens in the computer science space. They've got to look at these grand challenges and really apply them. And I think mm -hmm. that that's, that's a really genius stroke by the USC admission office mm -hmm. to try and get students thinking outside of the box there. Yep. Um, how much research should a student do if they pick one of those challenges that, that they gravitate towards? How much research should they do to be able to understand that content? Does this need to be a well-researched essay? Is this something that's more personal? Yeah. What's the balance there? Um, so many engineers are quite literal. I live with two in my home. Yeah. <laughs> so I always go back to this is not still, it's not a research paper about this engineering problem. You're not looking to solve this in the short space that you have. And so that's um, that's not really a space to kind of say, here's my answer to it, but it's sort of why are you attracted with it? What would be attracted to it? What would be your approach to this problem? I don't think it's that you need to, you know, solve climate change in, in your short answer. No, and if you do that, then you'll get into USC. So, uh, <laughs> you know, that, that's that's perfectly fine, but probably not something you want to take on here in right. November. Um, let's so so have fun with that one. Yeah. Enjoy it. I think if you are an engineering mind, you're going to mm -hmm. like looking at those and, and choosing from yeah. them. Now, I, I the other question I think is really interesting as well because the, the the main crux of it is describe how your contributions to the USC Viterbi student body may be distinct from others. Mm -hmm. And they say, please feel free to touch on any part of your background, traits, skills, experiences, challenge, or personality uh, to help us better understand you. Mm -hmm. Now, this is hard because you don't know who else is going to be in that class. And so how would you know what makes you distinct from the other students who are coming into USC? What should students do to think about their differences within the context of this USC pool, given that they can't see the entire pool? 
I mean, I, I would say this is, you know, this is a space to kind of think about the role that you have played in any kind of collaborative group. Mm-hmm. Um, it can also be because it specifically calls out sort of background and um, and sort of life experiences, a place to talk about underrepresentation in engineering. And so if you feel like you are part of an underrepresented group, whether that be due to, you know, race, ethnicity, religion, neurodiversity, um, th- those are things that you could talk about here, but not everybody has that as appropriate or, or has those things that they want to talk about in their essay. So I think of it as, you know, if you are on your robotics team or your science Olympiad team, what's the role that you play within that group? Um, yeah. If you're not sure, text a couple of your friends, ask them yeah. like, yeah. you know, are you the guy who's walking around with the clipboard and checking everything off on the, on the to-do list for that day for your team? Are you the person who, you know, uh, comes up with a new technological idea of, of design. Um, so thinking about it from that perspective might help you clarify your own role as it's being seen by those around you. I think that's great. You, you really can own your strengths, I think, in that context. Mm-hmm. And, and it's a great way to identify not just, a, you know, an answer to this question, but also what differentiates you uh, when you get into those collaborative spaces as an engineer. Mm-hmm. And keep in mind, you know, if you're writing these Viterbi responses, you also are writing the other USC prompts. Yep. And so you don't want to write about the thing that's essential to understanding you being how you walk around with the clipboard during robotics, because you're going to write about that for right. the Viterbi piece as well. Right. Uh, these are great essay questions. Um, mm-hmm. I really, really like them. Thank you uh, for coming on the show, Mary Sue, and, and helping okay. to unpack them because uh, they're real, really a lot of fun. All right. Thanks, Ian. You're welcome. Uh, we're going to come back and talk a little bit about late starts on the financial aid process. So stick around. Uh, you don't want to miss it. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Tune in every week for Making Action Happen, hosted by Sarah Blackhurst and Brian McCain. The program takes you inside Action 22, a Colorado-based community outreach organization established in 1999. The show focuses on public policies, both politically driven or not, which have ongoing and immediate impact on the Colorado community and the world. It doesn't matter where you are, you can make action happen. Listen Thursdays at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time, and 1 p.m. Mountain Time on Voice America Variety. Do you know that over 70% of people with disabilities are not counted in the workforce with twice the unemployment rate of the non-disabled? Join Joyce Bender, CEO of Bender Consulting Services and a disability leader as she talks about best practices and newest trends in disability employment on Disability Matters. As a person living with epilepsy and hearing loss, Joyce is an international advocate for disability employment. Tune in on Tuesdays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. College admissions can be stressful, but Bright Horizons College Coach is here to help. Our college experts who worked in admissions and financial aid at some of the nation's most selective institutions offer ethical, customized assistance based on each student's individual strengths and interests. Students receive one-on-one guidance throughout the process, and our 100% success rate means all of our students have been accepted to college. Visit getintocollege.com to learn more. 
Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are listening to Getting In, a college coach conversation. To submit a question for an upcoming listener Q&A segment or to suggest an idea for a future segment, please send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to this mid-November edition of Getting In, a college coach conversation. We talked just a moment ago about the USC deadlines, uh, the USC essays and the deadlines coming up on on December 1st. We also spent some time in our first segment talking about what seniors can do if they're just getting started with this process now. And of course, you don't just apply to college, you also apply for financial aid and you've got to pay for college at some point. And so we thought we'd pick up that same line of discussion from the first segment here in the final segment to talk all about what students should do now with respect to the financial aid process. So joining me today is one of my favorite guests from the finance team, Lori Peltier. She's a frequent uh, guest when we talk about finance topics. Hey, Lori, welcome back to the show. Hi, Ian. I'm happy to be here again. Glad to have you. So we are, are looking at students who are saying, oh my gosh, college, I, it's time for me to apply. I, I, there are some things I should be doing right now. And I think in some cases, uh, also parents who are hearing rumblings about the FAFSA, who are hearing about financial aid deadlines. Um, and I, I have to say, I, I empathize with those parents because there are a lot of things that are happening within my kid's school that I'm just paying no attention to. It's like, shouldn't I be signing up for parent-teacher conferences? Or like, isn't there some sort of winter soccer thing? And I'm so busy, I'm not focused on all of that. So I heard that the FAFSA came out in October what does that mean? What, what are the deadlines? When do I have to submit? Like, what's my drop dead date to make sure that I've got everything in order if I'm a parent of a senior? I would say there is no drop dead date. The FAFSA form is open for the next year and a half, okay. um, but you don't want to wait that long. It depends on gotcha. the schools that you're applying to. So for regular decision, colleges usually set a deadline date for financial aid applications around January 15th. Okay. So you, you've got time. It's November. Um, I would plan on getting it done before the end of the year if, if I were in this situation. So you know that, that that's something you need to get done. The FAFSA form does allow you to list colleges on there that you want to receive the data. If you don't know exactly which schools you're going to submit an application for, you can still get it done and list one school and go back in later and add the other schools that you've added onto your list. So don't feel the pressure that, oh, my gosh, and by next week, I need to have it done and I need to know exactly where I'm applying. You mm -hmm. do have time for that. Okay. And you can still submit it after the deadline date, but your uh, qualifications for aid are going to be limited the further past the deadline date you get. So some schools are very strict. This is the date that beyond this date, if we receive your application, there's no funding from the school. You can always get the federal funding uh, throughout you know, the school year, but um, the funding from the college itself would be limited if you missed the deadline date. 
And for some schools, that can be fairly significant, uh, you know, five yes. figures sometimes in terms of that mm-hmm. form of aid. So you got to be really on top of things there. Uh, what about students that are applying early action, early decision, and want that financial aid award to come back with their admission decision? Do they get an estimate from the school? Um, do they need to be more proactive in sending in those forms? How does ED and EA play into that process? So they have earlier deadline dates, um, especially early decision, usually November 15th. I've seen some schools where it's November 5th, which is now. Um, So um, early decision is the earliest deadline date you're going to see for financial aid. Early action, um, they want you to get it in early because they want to give you a financial aid offer with your decision. Um, some schools will postpone the financial decision to a later date, but if you really want to know, yes, I'm accepted and this is how much money I'm getting, then you need to get um, the financial aid applications done probably by November 15th. Gotcha. Now, I can imagine some families just intuitively thinking, well, I'm going to wait till January. I'll have more information about my taxes at that point. I'm going to figure out what my taxes look like. And so I'm not going to do financial aid forms until I know exactly what that is. Is there any relationship between 2021 taxes and fall 2022 seniors entering school? That's a good point. No, it used to be in the past that way, but now uh, we're looking two years back. So the tax return that is reported on these financial aid applications is your 2020 tax return which mm. should be filed by now. So you know your income for 2020. You Wait, have I should have all- filed that? I'm <laughs> <laughs> um, sorry to tell you that. That's um, terrible news for me. No, go ahead and yeah. continue. So all the information you need for the financial aid form, you already have. Okay. The only, the only thing you may be up in the air about is exactly which colleges you want to receive the data. Is that part of the reason that there was that big shift to prior prior years because of this relationship between tax exactly. and filing? Okay. Okay. Exactly. I think that's, that's a smart choice. And of course, we've talked many times on the show about appealing financial aid awards if you've had a big shift in your financial circumstances since that 2020 tax year and now, because a lot can have happened uh, over that period of time. Um, now, this is we're mostly talking about the FAFSA and maybe a CSS profile, which are forms that we've talked about on past editions of the show. Um scholarships tend to be something that colleges will award based on incentives that they want to give students to choose to to attend. Um, What about those deadlines that are associated with with scholarships? Sometimes those aren't quite as front and center on a school's website and students might overlook them. What, what, What should students be thinking about with respect to the scholarship deadlines? That's, that's correct. You should do some research on each of the college's websites uh, for the schools you're applying to. We have seen a shift recently where more and more schools are only offering academic scholarships to those students who apply early action hmm. or hmm. early decision. Um, so kids who are applying regular may miss out on some of that. Um, so you'd want to check and see if you think you're a good candidate for a scholarship at a school, what are their merit scholarship offerings and what are their deadline dates? There's still plenty of schools that offer scholarships to regular decision candidates, but we have seen a little uptick in the numbers of schools who only offer it to early action. Gotcha. Candidates. 
Yeah, and that's, I mean, part of the reason that as an admissions expert, when I'm working with a student who's looking at, let's say, USC, where which has that, that we just talked about, that 12-1 scholarship deadline, I actually don't even know what their regular deadline is because every single student I work with, I say, you got to apply by December 1st. We want you to be considered for a scholarship. Um, you don't want to miss that opportunity for essentially free money. Mm-hmm. Um, now, one of the other pieces that we often discuss is how the conversation around financial aid is really a conversation between students and their parents. It's not just a matter of getting into schools and then mom and dad say, all right, here's your money, go off and have your four-year education. What are the conversations that families should start to be having now if they haven't begun about the process of financing their education? Right. I think it's important to start now if you haven't already, because that bill is coming up pretty quickly. The bill for the fall semester will be in your inbox in July. So it, it's just a, you know, about eight months yeah. away. Wow. So, um, so having that conversation of how much are you willing to pay? How much are you able to pay? Will the student go into debt for their education? Will the parents go into debt for their child's education? Do you have, you know, other children coming up behind this student that you need to save some of your funding for? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, are you paying tuition and fees or room and board as well? You know, maybe the student can pick up a, a job this summer and, and be able to contribute a good portion of money towards the fall and spring semester bill. So just, you know, what's expected of the student, what the parents are planning on doing. I think it's um, one of my favorite sayings is, you know, what if you apply to these schools and, and God forbid the student doesn't get in? Well, that's sad. But I think an even sadder situation is what if the student gets in and the family can't afford it? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, you know, knowing upfront what the cost might be, what your options are for funding and what you're willing to pay so yeah. that you don't get into that scenario. It really feels like it's helpful to lay things out on the table. I mean, I've been using this analogy of puzzles lately where, you know, if you're going to start doing a puzzle, it's a really big undertaking. But the first thing you got to do is turn over all the pieces just so you can mm-hmm. see that what, what you're dealing with. And I think you've got to look up, you know, do your net price calculators for each of the schools, figure out what kind of aid you're eligible for, you know, look into filing these forms and then figure out how much funding can we get from all of the different resources that we have available to us. How much can you get from a summer job? What might you be able to contribute? And of course, the other funding options are are going to be loans that are going to come into this process. And you want to get a clear picture of all those other pieces first, but how might loans come into the picture and when should families start considering that piece of the process? So loans, you have some time on. I mean, the applications for loans are typically filled out in June and July, even up till August before school starts. just knowing that the student can borrow a, a limited amount from the federal government and any additional funding under the student's name is very, very limited. They would need a co-signer to okay. go on the loan with them. But the parents borrowing, if you have a decent credit score, is unlimited. So um, so knowing that that's an option and it's more, um, how is my credit score today? Is there a way I could increase my credit score so that I get a better interest rate on some of these loans that are offered? And, and we've got lots of different content that we're sharing on our blog, which you can get to at blog.getintocollege.com. Just a lot of really, really great content talking about these different aspects of financial aid. And I think we get into a little bit more of the, the nitty gritty there with some links that you can click on to find more resources. I want to pivot just ever so slightly here to, to students that maybe have done everything at this point. They've submitted all of their applications and their essays are finished. 
but maybe they're starting now to think about financial aid. Maybe they took care of all the admission process and now it's, well, now how am I going to pay for this? What about the role of all of these private scholarships? You hear about scholarships that are out there. I can apply for so many of them. When do deadlines for those scholarships tend to be? What are the expectations that students typically need to meet in order to be eligible for those? How, do, how should students think about that fitting into their funding puzzle? That's a good point. I do say for students who are done with their applications, now's a good time to pivot and spend their energy on those outside scholarships. Mm-hmm. The application due dates are all around the calendar. They, they could have been, you know, May of junior year, October mm-hmm. 1st of senior year is a big one. Unfortunately, it's a crunch time for everything. Yeah. Um, but it's still okay to start searching now and just watch the deadline dates and see, you know, what's coming up in the next two weeks that I could hit that deadline date for, but it's a, it's a good project for those students who are done. And they are not, they're not quite as regimented as what we see with admissions and financial aid applications, where it's November 1st, December 1st, January, like that kind of thing. Not kind regimented of all of the at all. Yeah. Exactly. And I think we've talked about this previously. These scholarships are available to you even after you're a student. So you can continue to apply for different sources of funding. I think a lot of students assume once I start school, my funding is baked into the process. I'm just going to have to cover this amount out of pocket. But there are ongoing opportunities to continue to contribute to your education. That's correct. All right. Any other final tips that you would give families uh, just, you know, who are starting this process right now, beginning the conversation around Mm -hmm. the kitchen table? Um, Divide and conquer. You know, maybe if the student is working on their applications, the parents really can get the financial aid applications done where the student should be focusing on their essays and applications. Yeah. So, so students, you can be project managers in this case, assign some tasks for your parents and parents is a great way for you to help uh, with, while giving your students some space to work on those college essays, which, which really should be theirs. Uh, All right, Laurie, that's great. Uh, Thanks for coming and helping to to make some sense of all of that process. Uh, We've got another great show coming up next week. Again, Beth is going to be back hosting. We'll talk about how to get your best essay put together before your regular decision deadlines. We alluded to that in the first segment where we talked about two weeks being the minimum amount of time that you might want to put towards that personal essay. That's going to talk about maybe the ideal way to structure that. Um, We'll also talk about maybe considering a gap year, especially if you're a student who is lukewarm on college coming up this fall for whatever reason. What does the gap year mean and how can you take advantage of that? Um, And then we will also talk about loan servicing and when what to do when that changes. I actually, my mortgage was just sold to a new mortgage servicer, which I hate, but I have no control over. And so now I got to figure that out. So I might get some tips from that segment as well. Um, All right. That was a great show. Thank you so much for joining us. Lori, it was great to have you. I want to thank all of our guests and we will see you all again next week. Take care. Thank you for tuning in to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation, hosted by Elizabeth Heaton and the team of experts at Bright Horizons College Coach. Join us again next Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week.